Hey, good morning everybody. Welcome to Cedar Valley Church online this morning. Hopefully you are cozy inside of your home or maybe you're here at the church at the watch party, watching on the big screen. Wherever you're at, we are so glad that you have joined us here this morning. And if this is one of your first times here, special welcome to you. We're really glad that whether you Googled us or you somehow had a friend recommend this to you, we're really glad that you're here and we would love to get to know you better. And while we're doing this disconnected online digital thing, we kind of need a little bit from you. So if you let us know that you're here, you can either send us an email, hello at cedarvalley.ca, throw a comment in the thread to say, hey, I'm new. Uh, send us a message on Facebook or YouTube, wherever you're watching at. We would love to get one of our pastors, one of our staff here leaders to just get in touch with you, get to know you better, tell you about who we are, uh, give you a sense of what our community is like and, and get you connected. So just before we get this service started, I've got a couple things I wanna run by you. One is that the best thing for all of you to do to keep connected, up to date, informed of all the stuff happening in our community that our church is getting up to, especially with Christmas Advent season coming up, is follow us on our Instagram page, Facebook page, or head over to our website, cedarvalley.ca. Sign up for our email newsletter at the very bottom of the page there's like a little form or it might even pop up uh, it's not spam it's good stuff we send out a weekly update with all our announcements it's a good way to get connected to our prayer chain we send out devotional posts throughout the week and while we're not meeting regularly in person this is one of the best ways to stay connected this week our youth group program and Awana program are going to be meeting online so check if you're part of those programs check your email inbox there's going to be some information coming out to you for how to connect with that that this week as we just participate with uh, all of bc and trying to lower the numbers in our covid 19 spread and i'd just like to let everyone know here too if you are looking for ways to give to the ministries of Cedar Valley Church, like the kids programs we do, the outreach, putting together stuff, just like this online stream, uh, just continuing us running and supporting uh, requests for help and need in our community. You can head over to our website, cedarvalley.ca slash give. There's a few ways to give online or in person at our monthly in-person worship gatherings. The next one's December 6th. Okay, we have a great service coming up for you this morning. We're gonna spend a time of worship. Our worship ministry has recorded some songs for you to worship at home, in your living room, wherever you're watching. There's gonna be lyrics on the screen so you can join in however you feel comfortable. Sing, hum, yell, whatever it is. After that, Pastor Doug is bringing us a story for the kids, just for you, so stay tuned for that. And there is a activity sheet that goes along with it that some of you may have received an email for. And if you aren't getting those and you'd like to, send Pastor Doug an email. There's gonna be information right on the bar here, Doug at douglas at cedarvalley.ca. And we're wrapping up with the message this morning from Pastor Rob, continuing in our road trip series. As we take a look at some practices we can start putting into our life, looking towards the end of this year, that we can work on having a real authentic, personal relationship with Jesus. And rather than just focusing on all the stuff, especially around the Christmas season, all the plans, all the scheduling, all the administrative tasks and everything, what we can do to make sure that we don't miss out on the relationship with Jesus. So we're excited to engage in that together. Before we head into all that, if you're watching live, head over to the comment section of Facebook or YouTube and answer this question. We are well into November now, and some of you may have already started throwing up your Christmas lights, your Christmas decorations, whatever's going on in your homes, just because it's 2020, right? So let's like get to the cheerful part of the end of the year before the next thing happens. But here's the question, if you throw up your Christmas lights, maybe you have like a specific color scheme or a color pattern, what is the best Christmas color combination? Are you, is it the classic red and green? Or maybe an elegant, icy blue and white? Maybe you just go for the wild multicolors or that, that kind of new neon green and purple. 
Tell us your favorite color coordinations for Christmas. Graphic designers out there, pipe in. We'd love to hear it. We're in for a great morning. Thanks for joining in Cedar Valley. Good morning everyone, thanks for joining us today, come sing with us. Oh 
Hey Cedar Valley kids, it is great to be with you again today. And you know what? It's only halfway through November, but Christmas isn't that far off. And I want to show you something that I think you're really going to like. It is called the Journey to the Manger Advent Calendar. Now, every one of your families is going to get one of these right at the end of November. And every day, there is some really cool stuff in here. There's a little verse and something to do with your family, but then there's a ton of activity pages for every day that you can do. Then, in the middle of the book, you're going to find some pretty awesome stickers. What are you going to do with the stickers? I'm glad you asked. Let me show you. In the very back of the book, there's this awesome poster. And every day, you get to put one of those stickers on the poster to make the whole story as we go on a journey to the manger. So, end of November, you're going to get one of these. And every day in December, we're going to journey together as we prepare for Christmas. How cool is that? Well, now, to our Bible story. Have you ever had one of those days that pff, you'd probably say, yes, this is just a bad day. Or maybe it was kind of a good day, but different bad things happened that you really didn't like. Well, I want to tell you a Bible story that that was kind of the day of this young guy. His name was Joseph. Now, do any of you have a sister? I bet you do. Well, Joseph had a sister, but you know what? He also had 11 brothers. Can you imagine 13 kids in the family? That would have been crazy. Now, the thing about Joseph, his dad really, really liked him. And we even know that he had a special coat that was beautiful colors made just for him. But the problem in Joseph's home that made his days kind of bad was that none of his brothers liked him. It says in the Bible that they didn't even have a nice word to say about him ever. Can you imagine? Now I know sometimes at home we get in little fights with our brothers or sisters, but then after we have a chance to think about it and think what we were doing maybe wasn't very good after all, we say we're sorry and then things are better then again. But not in Joseph's family. They didn't say anything good and they didn't even feel bad about it. Well, when Joseph was growing up a little bit, he was still a boy in the house. All of his brothers, they were out tending their dad's farm and their sheep far away over the hillsides in a field a long ways away. So Joseph was going to go out to those fields and see how they were doing. Well, he hadn't even got to them yet where they were all camped out. They saw him coming over the hillside and they said, Oh, that Joseph, we can't stand him. Well, Joseph's day was going pretty good so far, but it was about to go really bad. Then one of them said, why don't we grab him and throw him in this pit and just get rid of him? We don't even want him in our family anymore. It's terrible. Well, as he came closer, then they mobbed around him. But then this older brother, Reuben, the oldest one in the family, he said, no, no, don't hurt him or kill him. Let's just put him in the pit and leave him there for a while. So they did. There was this old well. There was no water in it. And they said, ha! And they ripped his nice jacket off him. And they threw him down into the bottom of the pit. And then they went and they had some lunch. Well, 
while they were busy having lunch and Joseph was all alone down in the pit having a really bad day, there were some guys that started riding by on these camels. Well, and they were traders. They liked to buy and sell and trade stuff. And they rode up and, and they were from Midian. They were Midianites. They said, hey, do you guys want to buy anything? We've got some great cool stuff here hanging all over the camels. And then one of them said, well, we're not really interested in buying anything, but we've got something to sell. And they go, really? What do you got? And they reached down and they grabbed onto Joseph and they pulled them up out of the pit. Said, here, we'll sell you our brother. Can you believe it? And the Midianite traders say, well, tell you what, we think he's worth, how about 20, 20 shekels of silver. So they had this bag of money and they said, here, you can have this bag of money and we'll take your brother. And that's what happened. Joseph got sold. And he got taken by camel all the way down to Egypt. And there he was sold to a man named Potiphar. Now, he was the captain of the guards of the palace. He was a really important guy. And so Joseph worked really hard, even though it wasn't his home and he missed his family, even though his brothers weren't very nice, but he had a nice sister. But then Potiphar's wife one day went running to Potiphar, her husband, and said, oh, this Joseph guy, he attacked me. Well, he didn't. Joseph was a really nice guy. Well, Potiphar got so enraged. He said, you're going to attack my wife. I'm going to throw you in jail. Threw him in jail. Well, then Joseph is in jail. A really, really bad day he's having now. But do you know what? In the book of Genesis, chapter 39, it says a bunch of times that God was with Joseph. Even though he was having a bad day, God was right there with him. And Joseph knew this. And it made him feel better. Well, eventually Joseph got out of prison and back to the palace to work as a servant. But then Pharaoh, who was like the king of the whole country, he said, you know, I really like being Pharaoh, king of the whole country, but I'm kind of tired of doing all the work. What I would like to do is just sit on my throne in my palace and just kind of take it easy. He goes, Joseph, because you're such a good guy, is I want you to run the whole country. And Joseph, really? And he goes, yes. And we read again in the book of Genesis that says that God was with him. And he helped Joseph make good decisions and good plans and be nice to people, even though he had some really, really bad times. God was right with him. And it even says in Exodus that God will be with you. No matter what happens to us, God is there. And if we trust in him and believe in that, then God will bring good things in our life, even though there's some bad days and bad times. So always remember that. And I've got some cool things for you to do at home. Now, parents, I sent you an email yesterday with a couple of activity pages in here. So the first one, it's a coloring page of this really cool coat that Joseph got. You can color it anyways. The Bible said it was beautiful, lots of colors. And then there's another page here I want to show you. And it's a little bit of a, an activity with letters. You, and it's kind of a code and you need to figure out what it says across the bottom by doing this code. So 
Check your emails, print these off, and these are some great activity pages to remind us that God is always with us. And you know what? If you didn't get it, there's going to be an email on the screen here, and you can just send a note, and then I will email it to you right away so you have these pages. Well, thanks for listening to this story, and remember, God is always with you. See you later, kids. Hey, Cedar Valley! <laughs> Glad you have joined us for this time of teaching and this time of worship all together. I'm going to start with this question right here uh, from our road trip series. Are you a Martha or a Mary? And for those of us who might not know what that refers to, it refers to a story in the scriptures found in in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. So I'll give you a second to get there, which means I will slow down the cadence of my voice to allow you the time to find it in your Bible or on your Bible app. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. I'll be reading from uh, the New International Version. And it reads like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, him being Jesus, and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about a great many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So in this story, our Lord Jesus was on a ministry uh, tour with his disciples in Jerusalem when he stopped to take a little visit with his friends. He, he actually stepped away from his disciples to spend some time with these people. This was the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, though Lazarus isn't mentioned in the text. These were like Jesus' closest friends on the planet. And Martha opened her home to him. Now, already this tells us something about Martha. The text doesn't say it was Mary's home. It doesn't say that it was Lazarus' home. The text says it was Martha's home. And then the text goes on to say that Martha was doing all the work to prepare for Jesus' visit. She likely planned for him to come way ahead of time. We know that it was Martha who contacted Jesus when Lazarus died and Martha who met Jesus on his way to them and Martha who led Jesus to the tomb of her brother Lazarus. All of which seems to suggest that Martha was at least this, a planner and most definitely a leader. 
She owned her own home. She opened it to Jesus. She was making things ready for his visit. She seems like the kind of person who would just take charge if there was a vacuum of leadership in a room. And what's wrong with that, right? Why is Mary's way described here by our Lord Jesus as better? Well, it's not because Mary's way is spiritual and Martha's way is secular, which is a way this text has been interpreted and applied in the past to call people into ministry, for instance, the contemplative life of Mary as ministry being better than the practical life of Martha as being secular. This interpretation cannot be true because the story actually itself doesn't draw that comparison. If you think about it, Martha was doing ministry. If ministry is anything we do, in service or in the name of Jesus Christ. Everything Martha did was in service of Jesus that day. And it's not because what Martha was doing wasn't good. Jesus didn't say that. This isn't a story about good or bad, right or wrong. This is a story about what's better. Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet. Martha was distracted. Martha was worried and upset by a great many things. Mary had chosen one thing. So we can already see from that descriptor which way is better based on those results. But, but why? Why is the question, right? And here is the summary answer that will take us through the next bit of the teaching. Martha was focused and submitted to her plan. Mary was focused and submitted to Jesus. Martha was running around her home, making it ready for Jesus, likely even making a meal for him. Her plan, though, was being sidetracked a little bit by a lack of Mary's participation. And worse yet, Jesus didn't even seem to care. I don't think this scene is actually all that hard to imagine. So if you were with me, think about somebody you deeply admire or somebody in all of history who you'd love to meet with, to go out for a coffee with, sit with. Who might that be? Do you have that person in your mind? What would you do to make yourself ready for them? Would you... Clean your home, make a nice meal, plan the work and work the plan. Uh, maybe buy them a gift, dress up nice, put on makeup, get a hair, well, not a hair, well, you might get a haircut. Maybe even get a tattoo of their image. Like, would you do these things then to honor them or to impress them? I hope that he, I hope that she likes me, to dignify who they are or to earn their respect or their love. Martha didn't need to work her plan, nor did she need to impress her Lord. Jesus adored her, not because she was a great ministry leader doing great ministry, but because Jesus loves her. Jesus loves everybody. Martha was so distracted doing her thing that I think she forgot that thing. 
don't you care, Lord? Make her help me? She questioned Jesus' love in the middle of her distraction and upset and worry. And she was giving Jesus orders. Like, how did it get to that? By Martha making her plans more important than anything. And that, my friends, is what the Bible calls an idol. And that, I would guess, is what Jesus is calling out in this story. Not the preparations themselves, but the heart and the motivation and the obsession behind them. In the end, I think it came down to sort of the order of things. What if Martha's plans were adaptable? What if she could have stopped what she was doing to spend time with the one she was doing those things for? like Mary did? What if she started there instead of holding to her plan? Martha, Martha, there was a better way. Some of us interpret our Lord repeating Martha's name as a, a kind of condescension, like tisk tisk, Martha, Martha. But that would actually be a misreading. There is only sadness in it mixed with love. Repetition in the Bible often is a magnification of this as when King David cried out upon his son's death. Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. You find that in 2 Samuel verse 33 in chapter 18. And when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as Hens gather her chicks under her wings. And you weren't willing. That's found in Matthew 23, verse 37. Martha, Martha, there, there's a better way. What if the story went like this? Jesus was in town with his disciples. He stopped in at Martha's place. Martha and Mary greeted him at the door, very excited, anxious to see him. They sat with him, listened to him, laughed with him. And then it grew dark and they were getting hungry. So they all went into the kitchen and continued to enjoy one another's company while they put a meal together. You see, I, I think we, we too can get distracted doing a lot of ministry without first sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think we can do a lot of good things in the service and in the name of Jesus, because it's cultural, it's what we've always done, it makes a kind of sense, it's working somewhere else, or as it seemed to be the case for Martha, it makes us feel good to work our plans. But Rob, church, there is a better way. I include myself in this challenge because I am sure I have done my fair share of ministry in the name of Jesus without first sitting at his feet and staying there. The results of which have sometimes been a disconnected heart and questionable motivation, Certainly exhaustion and fatigue, maybe burnout from doing a great many things that seem to produce less and less spiritual fruit. 
and, and the resistance to trying new things in defense of things that once were. These are all sometimes the results of this effect. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. This was more than just sitting there and listening. It was a posture of deference at the time, as if to say, I submit to you. You are my Lord. She was focused and was submitted to Jesus. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and it was better. It was better because she put Jesus first over everything. And it showed because of the two women in the room that day, she wasn't the one who was worried or upset or distracted. She did what was needed, said Jesus. Needed. This is why we sit at the feet of Jesus, because it's what's needed for a full and healthy life. When we sit at Jesus' feet, or when we remain in him, to borrow from the gospel text in John chapter 15, we'll be less distracted, less worried, less upset, especially when things come along that are out of our control. I think one of the effects of COVID-19 is that it's revealed the cracks of how we do church, how the church in the West does church, and it has revealed the fissures in our personal faith. In religious speak, it has exposed our idols, which is to say anything that is more important than everything. Think about how we spend our time and money. Idols like entertainment and food and sex and success and control. Many of us have focused our time and money and energy to these kinds of things to make us feel better. And so we have submitted to them. But Rob, church, there is a better way. How do we sit then? This is the million dollar question for the morning. How do we sit at the feet of Jesus? How can we make ourselves more and more resilient to upset and worry and distraction? How can we strip the idols that are in our lives from our lives? So, there's nothing new here, actually, in my answer to this question, but maybe some things that are more needed now than ever. Here's my invitation, okay? Join me sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ from now, November 15th, to the end of the year. So, roughly seven weeks or so. In, in doing one or more of these things or ways or disciplines or rhythms. So let's begin. I'm going to give you five of them. You can pick and choose and uh, customize them for your lives. But this, I think, is part of how we can sit at Jesus' feet. First, start your day with Scripture. 
Don't start your day with distractions. It's very tempting to open up your phone and go to social media stuffs and turn on your news feed or listen to the radio or turn on the TV for the same kinds of stuffs. So turn those things off. Well, particularly turn your cell phone off or relocate it in another room where it can be charged there so that it isn't the first thing you reach for. Unless, of course, that's where your Bible app is and you're disciplined enough to actually open your Bible app first instead of scrolling through all the other stuffs. Give yourself some time to do this too, starting your day in scripture. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is not a kind of sort of uh, stop, drop and roll kind of thing. Focusing on the word and doing what it says takes, needs time. So open your Bible or Bible app and decide on some kind of reading plan uh, and sit with Jesus. Maybe you do that with others. Maybe you do it on your own. Maybe you do both. This will, of course, look different for different people, right? Some people have more discretionary time than others. Some are working shifts. Some are parents with young children. What do you do with that? Do do what you can. This is my invitation. Do what you can, not out of compulsion, but because you believe, as I do, it's a better way to start your day. Here's what I'm doing right now. I'm not suggesting you have to do this, but it was something that I challenged myself to do, and that was to locate uh, some psalms, some verses, rather, within the psalms that are in first-person singular, like, I am speaking to you, Lord, that kind of thing. And I located around 13 of them like that. And I've sort of mm, placed them in sequence as a kind of prayer. But more towards the point, I am trying to memorize that, memorize those verses so that I have this prayer sitting on my heart all the time. Uh, the first of the verses is this. The opening of my prayer then is this. Listen to my cry for help, oh my King and my God, no, sorry, give ear to my words, O Lord. That's how it starts, actually. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you, and I would put there in parenthetical, alone, to you alone I pray. That's how it starts. So that's what I'm doing right now. Start your day with Scripture. Next point, next sort of piece to consider, develop a habit of gratitude. So we're all living with varying levels of anxiety at this point of COVID life. This said, Jesus in Matthew 6 and Paul in Philippians chapter 4, both seem to suggest that gratitude is a practical, expressing gratitude is a practical way to move from anxiety to a deep trust in God's love. Which makes sense if we think of anxiety as thinking about what we might not have in the future, whereas gratitude is thanking God for what we do have in the, past, in the present. Thanks, John Mark Cormer of Bridgetown Church in Portland for this helpful way of thinking about gratitude. Gratitude is a way of bringing us back to the moment. Or, as Dr. Susan David might say, it is a way for us to create space between stimuli, so we're feeling anxious, and response, our desire to live into our values, one of which is to live gratefully for what God has given us. There are lots of ways to develop a habit of gratitude, right? Here are two ideas I kind of like, actually. The first is this. I'm just calling it a joy list. You can call it what you want. But some neuroscientists suggest that joy is the super emotion. 
It is the emotion needed to live life well. One such scientist suggested as a task that we write out the 10 best moments of our lives and take five minutes every morning to sit with one or more of these moments to soak in it, to remember it, to dwell in it, the sights and the sounds and smells of it and let gratitude well up within you so that you'd start your day with scripture and then maybe 